Hello pod, it's me again, Chris Hewitt, and welcome back to the second installment of our spoiler specials dedicated to one of my favourite TV shows of 2020, the second series of the brilliant BBC One ghostly sitcom, um, Ghosts. Part one saw me chat to creators, writers, stars, Lawrence Rickard, Ben Wilbond, and Martha Howe Douglas, and now in this part, we'll hear from two more of that multi-hyphenate sextet, Jim Howick and Matthew Bainton, who play Pat and Thomas, respectively. Simon Farnaby, by the way, who plays Julian, was busy shooting his new movie. Hopefully, we'll get him for Series 3. This is a longer interview than the first one, and is a little less raucous, but it is no less engrossing as I talk to Jim and Matt about the challenges inherent in the three episodes that they wrote for Series 2, including the episode that really shows us how Matt's character, Thomas, died, and, of course, the deeply moving final episode in which Pat got to reconcile with the boy, now man, who killed him. Once again, loved chatting to the guys and I hope you enjoy what they have to say. Here we go. Delighted to be joined on the second part of this Ghosts Spoilers special, Series 2, of course, by the writers, co-creators and stars of the show, Matt Bainton and Jim Howick. How are you both? Very well, thank you. That is Matt. Very well, Chris. Thanks for having us. And that is Jim. You froze on my screen for a moment and I thought you were just me not... or... Uh... No, Jim. It, I wasn't sure if he'd frozen because of a connection issue or if he just had decided to not reply. <laughs> it just looked like he was very rudely staring down the lens. <laughs> well, I have been warned because I've just finished with uh, with Ben and Larry and Martha and, you know, they were, I have been warned about the famous Havoc temperament. So um, I, I'm worried you could, blow up, you could blow up here at any point, Jim. Just don't test me, Chris. And we'll be fine. <laughs> it's been a real boon writing on Zoom, actually, for Series 3, because Jim can't physically attack any of us. I can't throw any tables over. I turn into a Hulkamaniac. That's why I've got a beard. Do you, buy in- <laughs> Do you buy in tables just so you can keep them in, like I say, a spare room and then just throw them yeah, on Zoom sort of, meetings? We buy just sort to- of stunt plywood tables so I can smash them and so you can smash look chairs over people's backs. Balsa. <laughs> balsa. Oh, that's it. Balsa, yeah. Plywood would hurt, wouldn't it? Actually, would really hurt. Yeah, well, that would <laughs> really hurt. Yeah. I just I just bought some oak tables from, from, from Ikea <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, for some reason, Matt's back was broken. I don't know why. Um, but guys, congratulations on, on Series 2. It is a, an absolute belter. You know, you wrote three of the episodes. Which is just greedy, in my opinion. But how did that? How did that? How did that pan out? Do you, you know, how do you decide which episodes beforehand, which ones you're going to write? It's kind of it. It works itself out as we go along in the process because we all, uh, at various times, end up dragged into other jobs away from the gang. So it, it just it just happens by chance, really. So we'll storyline sort of half of the series, and at the point when it's time to write up those episodes, it depends who's free and who isn't. And Jim and I just just happened to end up writing three this time. Yeah. <laughs> but is there is there an element of you write episodes that are important to the characters you play? So you wrote episode four, which is a huge Thomas episode, for example. Yeah. A little, a little it's kind bit, of yeah. it's kind of ended up that way, but but we all contribute to the stories so much and even to the point of little snippets of dialogue that go in that that someone may have improvised in the room. So there are episodes where there are significant events for characters that uh you know aren't the ones that the writers are playing. But yeah, the Thomas one it was so about him if uh, and it was I think I can't remember what the it's often about the genesis of the idea and I think it had been an idea of mine I don't want to claim that if if I'm wrong mm. but but the idea of retelling the story uh from the perspective of all the different ghosts who witnessed it so it, it's often more to do with the fact that the idea sprang from someone but even then the availability can step in and and actually mean that even though an idea was someone's someone else is going to write that episode and you know we all get a fair share in the end so Mm. there's no Mm. there's no proprietorial sort of protective behavior over ideas or stories really 
That's interesting. And uh, so going from what the other guys said as well uh, in the interview I've just done, they talked about how in episode one, for example, Jim, that uh, whenever you're you're doing button FM, that at one point you you were going to link into your own version of Dexy Midnight Runners. Oh yeah, come on, yeah. Eileen. Yeah, that was the original impro you did, right? We were kind of left with a sort of non sequitur in the script, and it wasn't really. We were kind of. It was one of those situations where we kind of gave. Well, Larry actually, Larry and Martha sort of gave the opportunity to me to do something. And it was literally the opening sort of baseline, which I don't want to do because you might have to pay for it because that was the situation. <laughs> what <laughs> are the rules the in a podcast? I don't know what the rules do are. Do it. I'll do it anyway. And if so, it was basically this. It was like, and, and here we are. And, and next up, we have this from Dexy's Midnight Runners. Pom, 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 pom. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> And they were going to charge, they were going to, it was going to cost us a, a few thousand pounds. Jim, there was a point where you, where you were saying, let's dip into our own pockets. Oh, I was absolutely, <laughs> like Larry and I had a discussion. I'll pay a thousand. I'll pay a yeah. thousand. It got such a laugh in the, in the executive's sort of read through. We do this read through kind of towards the end of the writing process just before rehearsals where we invite the executives from the BBC and the and the heads of department various press and stuff to come and uh, listen to the series being read around a table and uh, we did that joke then and it got a really big laugh and then once rehearsals came we were told that it would be too expensive to use and Larry and I I can remember us walking to a, a falafel house is that what you call them? A falafel house? Um, yeah. Talking about play, literally paying for this joke ourselves. Uh, we didn't in the end. Oh. <laughs> it was it was very funny. It was very, it was funny. It was very expensive. But yeah, I'll send you that the was check. the original. I'll send you the bill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This Please comes God, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is, why is Chris Hewitt sent me an invoice? For yeah, I mean, that would be it, it, <laughs> if we'd ended up not pounds. paying for it for the show, but then paying it paying for, for a this. podcast about the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll bleep out the important parts. It's, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're in safe hands. Great. But yeah, it was supposed to be Dexies. And then I kind of went through a number of songs that I think would be packed yeah. relevant. Like there was that, uh, what's it called? 2468, the um, Tom Robinson. Uh, Tom Robinson song, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 and and just various kind of intros, really, that would be pat relevant and might be cheaper. Um, and in the end, we went with a with a, a local band called Chicken and Chips. And that that was you on the spot improvising, wasn't it? Because Tom yeah, said it was. Our director said, "Just just improvise something. Just um, do something." I think we had in mind that we were going to do a whole bunch of takes, so there'd be a load of options. And then you did that one first, and he went, "That's great. Let's move on." Yeah, I've got like, so I, many. I, I, I got just so said many chicken and names. chips with "Where's the cream?" Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was know. just before lunch, Jim, and you were... It was. <laughs> you, 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 you were literally just thinking what you would like for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I can I totally relate to that. And uh, before we get into the episodes that you guys wrote, did you, what did you want from from, uh, from Pat and Thomas Did you, in terms of growth and in terms of their storylines overall this series? I mean, personally, I think it's nice to see characters flipped for a moment from sort of the perspective mm. of the kind of extremes. And I mean, sort of like what we saw this series and that Pat got angry, which was quite... Mm. Was, yeah, was, bad was, bad a, a very, Pat was an early... That was something <laughs> written up on the wall very early on, wasn't it? Bad Yeah, Pat. it was like a blue sky kind of idea. Yeah. Um, and then the same with the captain as well, sort of seeing captain not only as a flawed man, but a vulnerable man. That was something we wanted to explore. Um, the yeah. idea of sort of love and sort of inter-house love and relationships between Mary and, and uh, Robin, um, that was something oh, yeah. we wanted to sort of explore. But just as a sort of uh, a brief sort of um, brief thing, a human thing, a human element, really. Mm. Yeah, I think that was the mm. thing: is it's exploring sort of humanity in these characters. They're so well defined. There's such a sort of clear spectrum of how each character would react to a certain thing. Also, and, and you so realise yeah. that I think 
The the sorry to interrupt. Yeah, like series one, they they begin as archetypes. They they begin as like these mm. recognizable line drawings of characters. You know, and and they had to because we had a pilot episode that set up like ten characters you know which we had to set mm. up within a few minutes so you do these really crude cartoon line drawings of characters because you need the audience to know who they are immediately go oh that's yeah. the poet that's the caveman yeah that's the scoutmaster yeah. is always happy mm. you know and and th then what's lovely is that over time we get to turn those very crude line drawings into something much more detailed and with much more depth and as we began to talk about series two, we realized that what we have in the concept of the show, and you don't always realize this when you first come up with an idea, is something that has riches where you're not just writing, if you like, horizontally, you're not just moving forward in the timeline of these characters. You can also move backwards and vertically as well. You can dig down. And so it's not just about what's happening yeah. in the house. It's also about it's also about discovering more depth to these characters and mm. not necessarily changing them, but just finding out why they are how yeah. they are. What makes Grumpy Grumpy? What makes Sneezy Sneezy? Series two in particular focuses on the idea of how much these guys have kind of withered and atrophied for years and they got stuck in their little cliques and their little routines. Mm -hmm. And then along come Alison and Mike, Alison in particular for obvious reasons. And that's the change agent. That's, you know, something yeah. she's mm -hmm. dropped in and they begin to change and they begin to grow and they begin to rediscover the people that they perhaps once were. And I think Thomas is really is one of those people and what happens to him in, in episode four, we'll get to in, in a second, but Thomas is a really fine tightrope line to walk. I think in that he is one of the characters that could so easily have been in the wrong hands, a one note joke, mm. which is, you know, he's this grand romantic poet who becomes fixated on Alison and there's nowhere else to go really in the wrong hands. Once you establish yeah. that, that's not the case with Thomas in series two, but were you aware of that? Were you aware Definitely. of how, how yeah, limited that could completely. be? We were totally aware that he could just end up being a kind of Pepe Le Pew character. We talked about it a lot while we were filming series one, because I began to feel it. And I remember, I remember actually asking Charlotte whether she, you know, it was just filming another of an endless run of scenes where Thomas is pursuing Alison. Um, mm. and giving her unwanted attention. Mm. And I remember saying to Charlotte, do you think, do you think people would get really sick of this guy? Do you find him, do you, do you find him annoying? Can you get like, can you get a sense of whether you'll find him annoying as someone watching it? Um, because obviously she was, she spent the whole shoot playing Alison being annoyed by him. Mm. And so I was really conscious thinking about series two. And I think, I think early on, I even suggested, you know, should we, should we find a way, a, a, a sort of moment of change where she just dresses him down and just says, stop it, you know, and makes him stop. And then we, and then we just find other ways to explore that character. And we realized quite quickly that that's, that that was completely wrong. The challenge is, with a sitcom, you you mustn't change fundamentally who those characters are. Mm. Um, so the real challenge is how do you keep doing, how do you keep playing that same tune, but give it enough variance and dynamic um, and finding different ways to express it. So without giving anything away for series three, a little bit like we've talked about Bad Pat, there's, there's a reversal thing which we wanted to play with. Mm. And yeah, series two definitely quite early on came this idea that, okay, let's find out a bit about why he is how he is. And I'd always had it in my head that there's a line in, in a episode one or two of the first series where, is it Mary says, you sort of stays how you dies to uh, yeah. Alison to justify why they look how they look, you know. Um, Julian with no trousers and and so on. 
But I began to think with Thomas that if he died un- with an unrequited love, if he died heartbroken and fixated on someone, then would he stay like that? Does it apply to the psychology of, of the character in their moment of death as well as, you know, physically whether they lost their head? So um, mm. that kind of the story began, kind of cam- came from that thinking, right, it, he, we always said he, it was a duel over a woman. And then adding to that the thought of like, oh, he must... It, we, we must build into this the idea that at the moment of death, he thinks that he's lost her and that she doesn't love him. Um, and that's why when Alison comes along, he transfers this state of being of unrequited obsessive love, just transfers it and, and sticks it all onto her. Mm. So that's, yeah, part of where that came from. That's interesting. Well, and that's obviously festered for hundreds of years yeah, as exactly. well. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, a, you know, and then there's stuff like Robin calls him out on it and um, yeah, mentions like, what's that scene? I can't even remember. There's a scene in the ballroom. It's, in, it's when uh, Robin is sort of poo-pooing monogamy. Yes. And um, mm. Thomas confronts him with it and says, you know, that's just the carnality of a beast. And he's like, well, what if you, what if... Uh, Isabel and Alison were both, uh, and Thomas is complete. His his brain short circuits with it. I mean, you're right in saying uh, Alison definitely has ignited something in Thomas. I can't imagine him being quite like this since Isabel. She's almost sort of dropped the Barocca in his kind of swampy glass mm. of water, <laughs> and uh, given him back his fizz. <laughs> Because going back to the very, very first meetings we had about the idea of ghosts was mm. one of the early ideas was just a character who uses the fact they're a ghost to peep. And yeah, um, it was just a bit It was going to be a bit of a fast show um, uh, me, the, you know, that character. Mm. Um, mm. Like a Leslie Phillips sort of a sort cad. Of yeah. Yeah. A, a cad yeah. and a kind of, yeah. And, and, Literally one element of that remained, but we realized quite quickly that it would be, that would just become really tiresome and that it was much more interesting to, to, have, a, to have a deeper thing where he thinks he loves someone much more yeah. naive and much more rich. I mean, that's really, I think this leads us directly into episode four. We'll, we'll, we're doing them out of order, but I think that actually <laughs> thematically it ties in very nicely with, <laughs> sure. with episode four. And uh, uh, one of the things about the, the three eps that you guys wrote as well, um, I'm using eps, which is an industry term, guys. I don't know if you're uh, on board with this. Stands uh, for episodes. Are you okay with this abbreviation? Sure. You okay? Okay. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I'm going too fast, just let me, I can slow it down. Um, <laughs> one of the things about the, uh, the episodes you guys wrote is... They're structurally really complex. So, was that were those tasks that you wanted to set yourselves, or is this something that just that just came up? I mean, the the Rashomon style approach mm. to episode four, for example, was that something that you wanted to do right from the off? Um, I think it just the nature of the of the show really kind of um, dictates kind of the chaos. There's so many characters in each episode that we have to sort of serve. With mm. this episode. We knew that we wanted to sort of promote a kind of unreliable narrator tale. I mean, we knew that we we that that the, the ghost there would be a certain number of ghosts who would have been around when Thomas uh, was killed. So um, mm. it felt only right to get their point of view across. It felt like the natural thing. As far as mm. kind of the other episodes, I mean, we try, we tend to give, try and give each character a sort of A and B story, uh, even a sort of very slight one. And that um, if we are able to, um, if we're able to sort of succeed in giving each character one of those, then it, it does, it, it, it helps making each episode seem very rich. Just that part of it came from as well, again, the sort of group conversations going to series two, it just reminded me hearing you talk about it then that one of the things we felt really keenly was that once, now that we had established the characters and the world so firmly, we could play with the format. And there's something Mm. really fun about that, that these are episodes that you couldn't have had in the first series because you haven't yet created enough familiarity 
the 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 constant the point of continuity is that it's the same characters that you know but the half yeah. hour can be a completely different format and there's many a long running show that has done that and the sort of bottle episodes you get in long running dramas yeah. or or sitcoms too and you know the simpsons and shows like that which will do a completely different sort of a whole different aesthetic for a, for a single half hour and you can only mm. do that once you've built that familiarity so there was definitely something really appealing about taking on a couple of those with the you know the hangover idea mm. um with the flashbacks yeah. that that entailed also by then because we'd done flashbacks in series one in as much as we'd shown pat's death we immediately recognized the danger in ending up with a homogenous way of doing flashbacks where what we could do is a, a flashback per series or a couple per series that are always telling you the death of that character and then then you run out really really quickly yeah so uh, that was quite an early conversation too going well let's what's a different way of doing flashbacks yeah. so and pat's was quite an easy one to come by first as well because it's obvious how he died you know he's wearing his death um <laughs> yeah so but so was thomas. it wasn't it wasn't a sort of sense of us unraveling too much of a mystery with pat it was more of a kind of let's watch this comedy routine yeah, that's that's something that Jim had, had had done as a sort of little improv moment. The very moment that we came up with the character, it was li- it was literally the first thing was you pretending the arrow had hit your neck and that you were struggling to breathe. I mean, so dark, but but somehow really funny because of it. I think because you already know he's dead and a ghost, you get to watch the death in a way that is somehow less tragic because. You yeah. know that he is still on some level alive. Yes. <laughs> but it still is so it's it sort of allows you to play it as darkly as you possibly can and it still has some levity to it. It's fascinating the the different approach you take to Thomas's death uh, in in the Thomas Thorne affair because it's uh, a it's it's a whole episode. I mean we've had mm. the previous episode has was captain centric. And obviously ended up not showing his death yeah. at all. Mm. But this is, I would say, possibly the first episode. And yes, obviously everyone gets gets something to do in this episode still. But this is the first episode I think that's been really focused around a single ghost. Yeah, mm. I think when, yeah. when we began to work through that sort of Rashomon thing and working out how it would work, it was it was clear it was incredibly Thomas heavy in a way that other episodes hadn't been. And I began sort of saying, should we not do that? I, I kind of felt this a kind of level of guilt about being so front and centre in, in a show that is always so carefully calibrated <laughs> nah, for, for nah, the ensemble. Net, mate, it's fine. Yeah, no, they, and this was the response from everyone, <laughs> always was like, no, yeah. fine, fine. You came up with a great no. idea for you to be no. the star of the yeah. whole episode, mate. Yeah, good for you. But um, it, it, but the challenge became, you know, it became making sure that you feel the presence of those characters who get to tell their version. And yeah. then the characters who don't have their own little storyline. And the biggest breakthrough really was finding Alison and Mike's thread and how it married up to the idea of telling bent truths in order mm-hmm. to impress people and then the the icy the sort of cherry on the icing on the cake was was coming up with the idea that julian's talk that he never got to do was also about that theme yeah yeah also it's a good way to uh, sort of illustrate as, as a device the, the the fact that there were ghosts present when the other ghosts died mm. um something that we 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 saw sort of later on in the series when when we briefly sort of saw Pat's death again, uh, yeah. when Keith came to the wedding, the audience had were already aware that this was what kind of could have happened. You know, they were there to watch the the demise of this this person. Yeah, so it's such a lovely idea. Thomas was a because of because of the sort of you know the the narrator aspect goes hand in hand with his character so he was just a really good uh, sort of guinea pig if you will for this device his his character yeah yeah they each time we do 
something of it expands the language of the show it expands the ways in which we can tell these stories and you can go back to the idea that other ghosts were present when certain ghosts were alive um, mm. because you've established it firmly earlier on and it kind of it means that we've got less work to do we've got a shorthand already for future yeah. ideas and we can be and are going to be kind of even more playful with some of the structure in series three certain for certain episodes i can't wait uh but there's there's a couple of really interesting things as well about the episode uh, uh also uh, one of them is we've long wondered if thomas is a good poet mm. And I'm still not sure about the answer. Yeah, I'm not sure about the answer. Because <laughs> I got I got really into it. it. It was I mean, that was one of the harder things to write in the script, wasn't it, Jim? That like making it crap poetry. Some, so, making it something that he could really commit to that was also bad, but you know, it we didn't want it to be bad in a way that even he would have to admit. Yes. It had to be bad yes. in a way that he would think is great. You wanted the audience to sit there during his version and go, is this rubbish? I don't know if this <laughs> yeah. is rubbish. Because yeah, exactly. it sounds quite good. <laughs> um, yeah. We have a moment actually in this com- this series we're writing at the moment where he's actually a, a, a deeply artistic and sensitive person and capable of, of coming up with lovely poetry. <laughs> when he doesn't yeah. necessarily think about it. Yeah. I, I, I think he's capable. Maybe he overthinks it too much. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's always the, the, what you sort of look, the gold that you look for with a comic character is someone whose perception of themselves is deeply different to how others perceive them. And, you know, Partridge is the, just, for me, yeah. the kind of zenith of yeah. that. And I think in the way that Partridge is so concerned about being a good broadcaster that he can't be. <laughs> um, <laughs> you also see flashes with him where you know that he's he's got it in him if he just wasn't so trying so hard or so obsessed. Um, yeah. And I think it's kind yeah. of that with Thomas that he wants it so much that that actually makes him very sympathetic once you kind of realise that that that's what's behind why they're so insufferable is a kind of enormous vulnerability because they want this thing so much that you know a healthy person wouldn't. Yes, absolutely. And uh, he also had, his death is quite tragic. When you really, when you lay it down, you look at the nuts and the bolts of the situation. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine none of the deaths of the ghosts are particularly happy-go-lucky occasions, but he's stitched <laughs> no. up by his cousin. You yeah. have, you know, he's he dies horribly over misunderstanding the woman he loves, doesn't come near him. He's got the letter in his, forever in his, in his, uh, in his jacket pocket as well. You're not holding back on that sort of stuff. Plus you've got the revelation of the cousin yeah, the cousin, the cousin the button, was, the was a genuine in the room twist, as in it came up while we were working through the story, which, which we thought we had basically finished structuring, that the idea was, which felt simple and elegant and wonderful, was Thomas tells a version of his death, which is an utter... Uh, lie in order to impress Alison. Then one of the ghosts mm. who was there interrupts and says, "No, it wasn't like that." And then another ghost, and another ghost, and another ghost. And then Kitty, who we felt was a character that the audience would immediately understand, wouldn't have it in her to be dishonest, would tell you the truth, which is just the tragic sort of crapness of a poet arriving at the house, doing a reading that no one really liked, being laughed at, thinking that he had a great affair going with this woman who actually didn't really care for him, challenging someone to a duel and getting shot and dying. And the idea mm. was just that it would just be the contrast of the pathetic uh, truth versus his heroic idealised uh, lie. And then this twist just jumped up in the writer's room and it, it was one of those 
truly exciting everyone sort of getting on their feet and going oh oh that's amazing yes he could have he could have written the letters and then how are we going to write this yeah how the hell is that going to work <laughs> and i yeah it's it it's a wonderful thing like when when writing is really at its absolute best you feel like the story was always there and you just you sort of discovered it piece by piece and it was always going to be that twist it, mm, it just yeah. had to be and when you look at it you go that that's that's how it works yeah the twist of the story is is, is faithful to thomas is accurate to his character in the respect that it's shakespearean it's melodrama um mm. he was betrayed by his cousin mm. for the love of another woman and so it does kind of anchor itself in Thomas's limbo psyche (laughs) does help promote him. (laughs) (laughs) And the cousin turned out to be a button as well, which Mm. is, or to be, that was, uh, that's a a fun twist. Was that something late in the day? Um, Yeah, we, no, no, because we were working out, we were working out the, yeah, the history of the house and who, how far back the buttons go before it was another family in the house. Because we've got, ideas about backstories of other characters which are yet to be told so we knew that the buttons were going to be an arrival after that time Mm. yeah francis (laughs) the one thing if i'm self-critical that we just didn't have literally kind of didn't have room for was to really give him a motivation (laughs) he's just the most evil character we did put in some adr we we um, added one line off the horse which was don't embarrass me cousin so just to give to, him a bit of a needle. A brief sense that, yeah, probably Thomas has been shitty to this guy, but that's still not, a, not you know... Not enough. We're going to have to bring him back. We're going to have to bring... Fr- um, we're going to have to we bring him back, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we might do. And just have a scene with um, with Thomas just laughing yeah. at, at Francis. Because we were, we were going to throw in something about a gambling thing, and anything that we tried to put in immediately told you as a reader or as a member of the audience, oh, this guy's going to turn out to be more than we think. Yeah, we had a line when he approached the house. Um, he was looking at the house and talking about his kind of gambling debts. And, and we sort of went there with imagine inheriting this. And that was used in the sort of unraveling moment. Yeah. But it was very, very mm. slight. Um, because as, as Matt says, anything more would have just sort of signposted what he was going to do. Mm. Mm. But the, the thing we should also point out, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this conversation for the last 10, 15 minutes, they would think this is a really intensely heavy, dramatic show, but it's <laughs> about death and betrayal and all sorts. But it isn't. It's also, this is a really, really funny episode as well. And uh, the, the funniest thing is Mary's speech. There's Robin's joke about banging his sister. Obviously, that's uh, that's right up my, in my wheelhouse. Not because I didn't, I didn't bang my sister. I just wanted to, it's just a sort of, sort of humor I like. Um, but... Uh, Mary's speech about being sucked off is absolutely glorious. Where did that come from? That was a room thing as well. I think that was literally like over lunch or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't really remember. I wonder if it was that someone like Mary was searching for the correct term of being evaporated into heaven or whatever. And they may have said sucked off kind of casually. Um, and it just found its way in there it's a very cheeky series this series very naughty there's a lot of of innuendo and um we just can't resist it we sort of know it's like it's like the cookie jar it's like you know you shouldn't be having so many (laughs) it's just we just can't resist them and we genuinely do in our defense cut quite a lot of them The, the, the the fanny stuff in particular there were there are lines that didn't make it uh, and our sort of rule was that they have to be they can't be a stretch they have to be able to be said absolutely in the context in which they're meant that it's just her name and if you're working too hard to make it mean the other thing then you don't you're not allowed it so episode two, just to, to to touch on that one as well, uh, which is a, about last night. And again, you guys don't make your lives easy for yourselves. I mean, you're you've got the, the flashback structure, you've got the mystery structure as well going on. It's a really fun episode to watch. It must have been held aright. No, um, 
It was a no. I, this was easier than the Thomas Thorne affair for me. I thought it, I think it was easier. I think once we found um, Alison's quest, once we we'd we'd just sort of come come up with the Dante story, um, mm-hmm. it became easier f- for us, I think, and it gave Alison something sort of active to do throughout the house. We're so. I think one of the things that sometimes people think that maybe I like that people recognise that what that what we do with the show is you know is perhaps looks effortless but isn't easy in terms of writing multiple narratives in a half hour and yeah. structuring them you know so that everything ties up and 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 everyone has their moments and so on. But in terms of whether it's really hard, I think we don't necessarily find it as hard as perhaps people would think because we've really, we're well practiced in it now. And we kind of, with three series of writing Yonderland sort of primed us for it to some extent. And this was like the next level of challenge was, okay, now how do you do this multi-character thing but with the same ensemble of characters every week, whereas we had had the slightly easier solution in Yonderland of having a new character every week. There would always be mm-hmm. a new person that, that um, Debbie had met along the way who had problems that needed to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were very used to sort of serving a quite a large ensemble in terms of a cast. And it's just, we just sort of in the rhythm of doing it for want of a, better way of putting it and I always think when we've got sort of far too many ingredients for what should be a 30 page script that's when I feel confident that it's all going to work and then our job (laughs) when we actually draft it is just to make sure that we don't linger for too long on anything make sure that we're just really economic with every story beat what's the briefest snippiest wittiest way of doing that moment and moving on to the Mm. next one and it they ought to feel like they're much shorter than than they are these episodes you know ideally you rifle through so much story in it and at such a pace that people can't believe the credits are rolling this episode was fun to write because it it was we were dealing with this what would be the natural response of each ghost to this party to these people coming back to the house pat from from Pat's point of view, he would he would be torn with having a good time but doing the right thing, um, whereas others would sacrifice perhaps having fun for the right thing and so on. And you know we had so we could really kind of cut loose with with the ghosts in this, and we didn't have to sort of subvert them in any way. You know, yeah. We we get to see Thomas and Pat dance in this episode. Oh, which yeah, is exactly. Much fun. I mean, of course. Quite a thing. Pat, you know, of course, Robin would mosh around the living room. Of course, Thomas would yeah. take a bow before dancing a jig. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, we even managed to get Pat doing a sort of Fabian Bartes short pull up <laughs> the legs. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of my favourite moments in the whole series. That. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was fun to do something. Um, I suppose to just to enjoy the purity of the characters in this ep, um, rather yeah. than sort of searching for a mystery or um, a twist. Yeah, mm. but you've also you've also got um, Pat. Uh, the, one of the first glimpses of bad Pat when he butts heads with the captain and goes, "Oh, naff off, you wazzock." Yeah. <laughs> Did that yeah. go through different iterations? I, I... It was always going to be Wazuk because I, I think it was a callback to um, when mm. Thomas called uh, a Byron a Wazuk or <laughs> yes. Toby Nightingale, the actor, a Wazuk. Yeah, and they ask, what, where did he learn that word? And he says, Pat says it. So we had it in our mind ever since that it would be fun to see Pat say Wazak and join up the dots. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing stuff. And you've also got the the plague ghosts begin to come to the fore a little bit more in this one. We have the creepy girl in episode five and uh, we get to learn what, what... became of them and what happened to them yeah. and it's it's your fault Matt it's, it's yeah. poor old Nick <laughs> I can't remember when that idea started but I, I 
One of my first uh, stage experiences in my life was a school production of a play called Roses of Eam, which is about a village in the north. I wish I could be more specific. I think it's Yorkshire, which was kind of decimated by the plague and none of the surrounding villages were. And they discovered that it was because someone brought back, I don't know if it was furs or they'd, they'd brought back some goods that some f- fleas were in this box, you know, and they got out and they spread mm. and, and this village were sort of destroyed by it, whereas nowhere else in the vicinity was. So uh, that sort of reared its head, I suppose. And I can't remember at what point we we thought this was the episode to do it. Yeah, this was an example, I think, of us coming up with a really cool idea for a pre-title sequence before we'd even begun to explore yeah. what it could become. Yeah. And what the idea see, of leaving yeah. the audience on Matt's sort of face or Mick's face, like he'd just coughed up blood into his hand. And what does that open up for us? And then we probably went to lunch and then discussed what it could <laughs> ha- what could happen then in the mm. in the ep. I think it I think the reason it married up, I've just remembered, is that we we were working on this idea that Alison is trying to get the house cleared up with a terrible hangover and with a sort of ticking yes. clock. And we were saying it's a classic there's a classic sitcom rule there to follow, like curb, just what's the worst thing that could happen next? So mm. That idea came up with the worst thing that could happen next if she's got a hangover is all of the plague village come upstairs and say, we're, we're going to live up here now. (laughs) So working back from there, we were like, okay, well, it could be that they've realized that Mick brought the plague back. That's the other reason we'd ended series one with um, a bunch of archaeologists in the basement and that had, yes. That had been the spanner in the works of Alison yes. and Mike's long, long-term plans. So we, we knew that we had to keep them present at the beginning of series two. We couldn't just dismiss that situation and say time had passed. Those ingredients all married up really nicely that an archaeologist could explain some piece of evidence that tells the plague guys that it was Mick. And then that would lead to them making Alison's already difficult day much, much, much more difficult. One of my favourite things, I mean, you talk about the, the love story that underpins the entire show. It's, yeah, it could be Alison and Mike. It could be Alison and Thomas. It isn't really. It's uh, Robin and Mary. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, where did that come from? It's just I absolutely mean, that, wonderful. That, that came from, I think, I might be wrong, but it came from us sort of discussing if it were to happen, who would it be? And it's it had to be them. <laughs> but also, I think we wanted to cop, sort of take sort of tropes from a party, sort of like incidents mm. that we've all kind of experienced from a party. So Kitty being the sort of crying teenager on the stairs and, you know, Julian sort of, I suppose, being kind of um, a bit lechy here and there. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and you know, a, a sort of a couple kind of ending up in your bedroom. And that's <laughs> and that's kind of what we wanted to explore. We wanted the ghosts to have their own sort of standard party. And we had said for a long time, hadn't we, that, you know, one of the things that generates material is asking yourself the real, like trying to ask yourself as truthfully as possible the reality of the situation, even though yeah. it's an extreme and crazy one, that if you're a bunch of people who are stuck in a house together for hundreds of years, some of you, and the only other people that you can touch are the other are other ghosts. You can't touch or do anything to anything else. At some mm. point, you would experiment. Mm. <laughs> and so we had joked for a long time about who would have paired off with who. Initially, we were just sort of going, they'd have all sort of done yeah. it with all of each other. Maybe some of the newer ones wouldn't have brought themselves to that quite yet, but but the ones who've been yeah. there for hundreds of years, at some point they'd have they'd have just gone. Shall we? I'm yeah. lonely. <laughs> I need to feel a human touch. <laughs> you know, and them two <laughs> so, definitely would have. Yeah, 
I, I, my feeling is that it's not the first time as well, that this one in the yeah. party. It sort of happens every now and again and they get a bit awkward and then they get over it. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting theory. Okay. Yeah, I might be lots wrong, of fan you know. fiction could be triggered by this. No, I think you're right. But I, that's, you know, it's kind of fun with these characters that we've all, especially because it's a show that six of you write, no one really has any right to a truth on them. So maybe it's the first time they did. Maybe it isn't. Mm. Well, from, from my point of view, I, I thought it was the first time it had happened for them. And I think it speaks to what I was saying earlier on about how Alice right. and Mike have changed yeah. them and have triggered mm. something in them. Yeah, that's a um, good thought. Because they wouldn't have had R&B music sort of serenading no. the moment <laughs> before right. Alison and Mike. Yeah, that's a good thought. And they're sort of high on enthusiasm, high on life. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because uh, they can't get drunk. Yeah, precisely. And they, they, they're all they're all beginning to change in very, very profound ways. And you know, I, I spoke with, with, with Ben about the captain and, and his story and his sexuality and how episode three flirts with obviously him realizing his true sexuality mm. and coming out and he doesn't. But episode six, if we can move on to, to Perfect Day mm. as well, episode six comes ever so closer to nudging him along that, that road to self-realization and, and to self-acceptance and self-discovery as well. He is absolutely loving how colorful this wedding yeah. is. It's, there's something mm. in it that has really triggered him, I think. What we realized, I think, when we were, again, it was that the question always of any given idea for, for an episode of Ghosts is, okay, what is each of them up to? And talking about a storyline for the captain initially i think he was going to be a naysayer about not about the idea of a gay wedding but but just the sort of organization of it he was going to be a problem for allison because often that's a useful avenue to go down with the ghosts you know can can he be on her mm. back and making it problematic and then i think mm. it was while we were drafting it even that we sort of found ourselves leaning into and finding more fun the idea that he becomes a de facto wedding planner and the more we the more we wrote his enthusiasm the more we thought what's beautiful about this is that this is a safe place for him to express himself without having to say anything or be explicit or even admit to himself mm why he feels comfortable in the company of these people and on this mm. occasion. So he just we did, we gets to be in this himself. really happy. Yeah, that that's the way I see it. I don't think he realizes, uh, you know, Ben may see it differently, but I mm. thought what was lovely is that he just gets to be himself in a, in a kind of profound way that he doesn't necessarily even put his finger on. Yeah, it's true. It's it the the sort of natural thing for us to the the go to for us at the beginning would be to of the of the of the process would be to make the captain the obstacle, but by making the the weather the obstacle, we were able to I think still remain um, faithful to the captain in the respect that when we first see him, he it's more about him. Ging up the troops and making sure that every effort is put into making this happen. And it just allows us to start the episode with him in a positive frame of mind. Um, in fact, everyone, it, what it does actually, the snow, what it does is allow all the ghosts in a sort of a rare moment of tranquility in the respect that they're just kind of mulling over their weddings or what their weddings might have mm -hmm. been. And and not mm. berating each other. And Ben does a beautiful little blink and you miss it reaction to finding out that it's a gay wedding. Mm. There's just this half yeah. a smile on his face in that moment, which yeah. sort of speaks to, you know, oceans of feeling. And and the the, the fact that it is a, a gay wedding as well is really, really interesting. Did you guys have... Any conversations with about that with the BBC in, in terms of, no. you know? I mean, uh, you no. know, Twitter trolls would, would probably presume that we were ordered to do that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we weren't. There were a few discussions in the room, you know, we wanted to sort of um, not make the 
the gay element sort of take over the story and become kind of, I suppose, like tokenism in a way. We wanted it to mm. seem like a completely yeah. natural thing and allow the ghosts to react, the right ghosts to react. And that would be Lady B, really. Mm. I don't think we wanted yeah. a kind of baying number of ghosts. I think it just needed one ghost to have a negative reaction. As yeah. you hit on, Chris, I think one of the, the themes of the show is the clash of old attitudes and modern, you know, as represented by Alison and Mike, and that what they bring into the world of the ghosts can challenge them, inspire them, and change them, potentially. Mm. Um, and so if you're, if you're sort of working from that theme and you're going to do a wedding episode it makes sense to challenge them with a version of a, of a wedding that for some of them is unthinkable or uh, for various reasons unthinkable. But then I think the, the key for us was that the couple themselves should not be defined by their sexuality. So mm. that's not what their story is about at all. Yeah. It's not very often, I think to, depictions of homosexuality less so now but you know often it's the defining thing about the story is someone having to encounter homophobia or struggle with coming out or whatever and you know we have our own character in the captain who uh you know that's a big part of his identity and his story but it was nice mm -hmm. to write this couple for whom it is not an issue and that the only person who has a story that has anything to do with sexuality is Lady Button because she's got a problem. It's her problem, not theirs. And um, and realizing that that we could use Humphrey's head to, I think, lay out in really simple terms. I I hope lay to waste any argument about gay marriage is just everyone would be happiest if they could choose who they marry. <laughs> yeah. And in his case, he yeah. married a woman, but it, she was a, you know, it was a arranged marriage and, and it was loveless. Um, and in whatever form, we should all just be free to love who we like. It's sort of, yeah. it's I mean, it insane was hard to keep that it that brief, could even- Writing yeah. it in a way, because there's so many reasons why yeah. people shouldn't have a problem. Yeah. It was it was hard not to make a kind of Yeah, we wanted to, to, to do it with a light, touch as as much as possible and and as you say like we're back to the sort of territory where as you said about speaking about episode four it sounds like this really heavy drama and to some extent we always <laughs> approach story that way because we always dignify yeah. it with with truth and depth and so on but you know it the comedy just comes from putting those characters in these situations and in some ways the more dramatic the better because you've still sprinkle a you couple know, of fannies, couple of wazics on top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we do in the end, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of your central dramatic uh, confrontations there is between a you know disembodied head exactly. and <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know what I mean, and another ghost. So yeah. automatically, yeah. you're 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 having a giggle there, but. Uh, but it's also, you know, it, it's a really emotional episode as well because of Pat's storyline. Yes. Uh, that is even and heavier. That was something that we, I think at first, we, we kind of dallied with the idea of bringing Keith back. And then I seem to remember us saying that maybe this is a bit too disturbing. I read an article in The Guardian that was profoundly sad about someone who had killed someone by accident when they were young. Um, and... I shared it with the group and said, what if, what if Keith comes back? What if Pat, what, what if we deal with this? And I think mm. we all quickly felt like it can't, it can't be done. <laughs> it's just too awful. It's just too yeah, awful too dark. To, to think about the truth of that. But then I think the more we thought about it, the more we thought it, we should go we it should we should do it we should deal with the fact that we've made a joke essentially about a kid accidentally killing their scout leader and there's some 
there's some depth to investigate there. And if we can do it yeah. well, it will be mm. very uh, a really rewarding thing to do. And also sort of fit with the tone of the show that we don't just dismiss characters yeah. for the sake of a exactly. joke. We deal with all of the ghosts pain. Why can't we deal with the, the pain of someone who has survived the trauma of, the, of Pat's death? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. The best way to do it is just not to shirk the 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 fallout of this terrible incident, um, and to face it head on, um, yeah. just like Keith's doing. You know, just do it like you know Keith's turned up. He knows what what he's got to confront, and that's what we're doing. It's quite a pure thread, really, in the, in the episode. There's nothing sort of out, there's nothing outrageous about it. He turns up, yeah. he's morose, yeah. he goes outside and makes his peace. It's how we yeah. react around that. Mm. It's the same same as bringing Pat's family back in in the first series. Yeah. Is sort of is sort of yeah. making sure that we you know we have a show that is about death and the mythology of ghosts. I'm sure speaks to a profound need in us as humans to to create. Uh, an afterlife, whether it's heaven or whether it's the idea that people stay on in spirit, because grief is so hard to accept. Um, mm. And it would just be such a missed opportunity to make a show called Ghosts about a bunch of people who are dead and never deal with death in any meaningful way. And Pat's family was the start of that, I think, in, in that first series. And sort of realizing that it can still be funny and it can still be really accessible and warm without ignoring mm. the you know the pain of grief or the truth of it because we all go through it and what you know I just think it would be such a missed opportunity not to express that somehow and you know maybe hopefully it's a it it can it itself can be a comfort I mean, it's such a beautifully written uh, moment as well when it comes because Pat has been so angry about about Keith being there, as you would you, you would imagine. Uh, I'd be even angry if it had been Mick Hucknell, actually. I mean, hey, how does Robin know who Mick Hucknell is, first know, of all? Exactly. Robin's favourite <laughs> album is Stars. <laughs> um, good album sold 12 million copies come on album. you know you, you, can't knock it. Um, you know you can't knock it or new flames to be honest i mean that's that, that's another, <laughs> another thing with series two that we've got to enjoy which we couldn't really with series one because allison and mike were not firmly established into the house by opening with that yeah. like routine that they've settled into, you're also saying to the audience, any one of these ghosts now can come out with a modern reference because they live in a house mm -hmm. with a television yeah. and the internet. Yeah, having Robin be the one who thinks it's Mick Hucknall felt just <laughs> it just felt right. But it is, uh, as I said, it's such a beautiful exchange. Ultimate, you know, hello, Skip, and uh, even the way you undercut it beautifully with the uh, just as it gets really sentimental, uh, Keith walks through Pat, and it, it all goes, yeah. it all goes wrong from that moment on. <laughs> but uh, one thing I asked the other guys as well is that in episode four, you introduce Annie, the ghost we have not seen outside of episode four, uh, and even actually in the episode three of the first series, Pat thinks he's about to move on when the bright light shines. He thinks, this is it, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going. And you have this idea that ghosts can move on. Did you discuss at any point that when Pat finds closure with the guy who killed him, that that would be it for Pat? No. No, because then we wouldn't have Jim in the show. <laughs> yeah, because I would be out of the job, Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then you just have to write. You'd, you would just turn up at the house, Jim, as someone who looks like someone you, else, but slightly yeah, different I mean, from Pat. I could still be like, you know, a creator and exec producer, but I'm just not in it. Or Pat's just in um, flashbacks yes. from that point onwards. Yeah, just in fact. I mean, no, we didn't discuss it. I mean, the thing is, with Annie, it was again us kind of reminding the audience that, of course, there were probably, you know, these things. It, it, had it never occurred to you that, that this could have happened? And just mm -hmm. by sort of flippantly putting someone in, um, mm. a fr a someone who'd been there for a hundred years that they hadn't told Alison about was something that appealed to us. With mm. Pat and um, Keith and, I guess, finding closure, I, well, I mean, yeah, for lo obvious reasons, we, we're not going to suck Pat off 
yet or anyone <laughs> off yet but, but uh however uh, desperate he may be however desperate there's no re- there's no we want that's to not, also that's not the uh, christmas the, special uh, now yeah no, no uh the extras perhaps <laughs> Um, the trimmings, but no, it would never occur to us. I mean, we wanted to, um, I suppose, keep the idea that even in limbo, um, life is a mystery Mm. and there's no telling what the, the the future holds, even in, uh, even in their situation. Cause there's, there's, there's so much, there's so much that's happening. That's new to these ghosts. I mean, Kitty, pukes at the end of this episode and you know yeah i think i think it's uh i think it might be robin who says that's never happened before mm. the fight at the end that they have you get the sense that they've never done that before either that they've never you know they can touch but they've never realized they can actually have a big old barney mm. which yeah. is which is interesting so all of the and all of this comes from Alison and mike as well and mm. uh, this this is the kind of the last thing we, we haven't really spoken that much about Alison and mike in in this ep or indeed or indeed the series and uh um um, can you talk about your approach to those characters and to and to you know what they mean for the show uh, in terms of driving driving the show, and also Mike still can't see the ghosts, which mm. opens up all sorts of comedic possibilities. But did you ever consider having him undergo a, a similar accident to Allison, for example, and then suddenly there there you go, he can see everybody? I I mean I think it, quite a lot of um, you, I've seen comments online of people going. When are we going to get get to see Mike seeing the ghost? It's what we want, sort of thing. And I think, well, it's good that you want that, and you should keep wanting it. You know that that's you shouldn't necessarily care for what you wish for, because um, <laughs> I think you know you'd love all of the ghosts to have closure on their issues as well, and that's what keeps you watching. Yeah. You know that obstacle for him is such a huge part of the sort of comic engine um for his stories it would just i think we'd jump the shark if if uh if he could see them mm. i mean on yonderland there was a similar issue where she debbie our central character in that discovers a fantasy world which she moves between the real world and the fantasy world and we had an episode which was in the Christmas special, I think. Christmas special, yeah. Yeah, it where was, yeah. Her, mm. her husband finally gets to see Yonderland um, and it all gets undone sort of by magic at the end because you mm. could not, you just change too fundamentally the dynamic if you leave it that way. Yeah. So, you know. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's Del Boy becoming a millionaire, you know. It's, um yeah. You've changed the yeah, absolutely right. The the, the yeah, because look the at the way DNA. episode five works. So episode five, yeah, yeah, episode five works because he can yeah. see the ghosts, and the ghosts have to have to go undergo all this, you know, all these nightmarish exertions just to yeah. get to pay attention to them. Yeah, so it works in that way. Someone wrote in actually saying, "Would you kill Mike and have him become a ghost?" And which I think is possibly the darkest question we've yeah. ever had. Can you imagine? Mm. I mean, Poor Alison. You know, yeah. Can you do a comedy where your your lead character is depressed <laughs> yeah, and distraught? Yeah, stricken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. Without without going into spoilers, I mean, you, you know, Mike Mike is fed up increasingly of not being privy to this other side of of uh, Alison's life, and that 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 in itself is going to drive some story in the next uh, series. Ooh. Um, Exciting. Uh, how far along are you guys with, with... So we've got first drafts of every script. Well, we've got three... We've got, we're in sort of draft three of each of the scripts of the first block, and then we've got a draft of every script for next for the next yeah. series. So we're working on them at the moment. Amazing. And then you're going to yeah. film them in your individual living rooms, yeah. Uh, yeah. I presume, as well. <laughs> as, yeah, and then just... Uh, yeah, just CG yeah, in uh, afterwards. Well, Jim is Jim. Jim, yes. you're very used to the new normal, right? Because Jim's been filming Sex yeah. Education, and um, so of the group, I think you're the so one. Yesterday, who's now- I was on a coach. I was on a coach with sixty school children. I mean, it was a kind of and then COVID when did you go to work? Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was in Wales. I got back at two in the morning this morning. Oh my God. 
So well done for being so coherent through this. Uh, I will let well, you guys go in that case. But yeah, it's, I'm just you know uh, that's that's the reason, listeners. That's the job. That's, that's a discipline. It's the, the job. But yeah, I mean we're being tested uh, all the time, every day. Um, we're oh my there, God. and I have nurses come to the house sort of twice a week, and um, it's and again also for your job. Yeah. It's just... I'm glad you said it, Chris, because I felt like I couldn't go back to that. <laughs> well, if you missed two open goals in a, in a row, it'd be Jesus. You could you could play for Spurs. Boom, boom. Two in the morning, guys. Two in the morning, <laughs> and not anymore. Uh, yeah, precisely precisely so so season three series three i'm really excited about it i can't wait to see what happens i presume there'll be a fight club in there somewhere given the the, way ah. the last line of this series yeah could be yeah we'll just put that in now <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah we'd already thought of that there's lots of um lots of uh goings on I cannot wait to see it. And listen, guys, you've been incredible. Thanks so, so thank much, you so much Chris. indeed, Matt and Jim. Cheers, it's been Chris. a pleasure, guys. Thanks, man. Thank you very much indeed. And that was Matt Bainton and Jim Howick, just in time for the Ghosts Christmas special, which is on BBC One tonight, December 23rd, and the iPlayer after that, of course, in case you're too busy wrapping presents or trying to catch a ghostly pigeon. Don't forget, of course, Series 2 is also available on DVD right now, and I believe also on the iPlayer for some time to come. There is one more instalment of this Ghosts spoiler special to come in which Team Empire, Beth Webb, Boyd Hilton and myself gush lovingly about how ruddy great Ghosts is, but that might have to wait until after Christmas. We'll see. In the meantime, thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have somehow listened to these spoiler specials for Ghosts, without having seen an episode of Ghosts, then hopefully this has persuaded you to give it a go. Trust me, you won't regret it, you wazics. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>